Today's episode of Recovery Survey is fueled by Brainwash Coffee Company. I'm sure you've heard that drug and alcohol use is on the rise, especially during the pandemic. And Brainwash Coffee Company is working to raise money and awareness to support people seeking help. They donate 50% of their profits and their mission is to give back to the amazing recovery community. Their why is bold and their coffee is fresh. So if you want to sip on an amazing brew that warms your mind, body, and soul, then visit brainwashcoffeeco.com and use promo code recovery survey at checkout to get $5 off your first order. Brainwash Coffee Company, simple coffee for complicated people. You're listening to Recovery Survey, the podcast that shatters stigmas around different types of addictions and takes a deep dive into spiritual principles. An eating disorder has absolutely nothing to do with food. It has everything to do with emotions that have not been dealt with, usually based on some kind of trauma. Uh, my trauma, my first trauma, was being raped by a classmate when I was seven years old. My guest today is named Sue Bowles. She is a survivor turned author, speaker, and master certified life coach. She has done the hard work of healing from a childhood rape and eating disorder and other sexual assaults. Welcome to the show, Sue. Uh, My name is Sue, as he said, and um, I am a master certified life coach. I am an award-winning author and I'm a speaker and I'm going to share a little bit of my story and help understand a little bit of the context of the recovery I'm in. I'm in recovery from an eating disorder, and I'll go into that a little more. I do want to give a quick trigger warning. A couple of the things I'm going to uh, give a thumbnail sketch about have to do with uh, some some childhood uh, sexual assault, uh, some depression, suicidology. So if any of those things are triggering for you, please have a self-care plan in place. If you need to push pause or come back to the show later, it'll be sitting here waiting for you. I don't want my story to do anyone else harm. So I always put that out there first. So having said that, um, I mentioned I have an eating disorder. An eating disorder has absolutely nothing to do with food. It has everything to do with emotions that have not been dealt with, usually based on some kind of trauma. Um, My trauma, my first trauma, was being raped by a classmate when I was seven years old. A classmate enticed me into the woods Told me against my will for 45 minutes, and his last words to me were, don't tell anybody. He went out one end, I went out the other, and I didn't realize the prison those words were going to put me in. And I say prison because it became a 15-year secret. I did 15 years with that secret, and then ate me alive, no pun intended, um, because I didn't know what had happened that day. I knew something wrong had happened. But this is the early 70s. Rape was not on the radar. It wasn't something that was discussed. No one knew to ask anything. And I didn't do anything wrong that day, although it took me a long time to be able to say and believe that. So the only person that did something wrong was Bobby that day. But I'm the one that suffered. And I finally started finding a little bit of freedom when I told somebody. I told my dean of students my senior year of college. He'd kind of become my counselor throughout the year, about the four years I was at college. And he, was, he knew I wasn't ready for the job market. I, I was still a very troubled person. And he was giving me different homework assignments, trying to help me get ready. And in the course of going over the assignment one time, I still don't remember what his question was. But my answer started off on some kind of crazy monologue. And my voice trailed off as I said, 
Well, when society tells you, and I stopped, and, and he paused a second, he said, Sue, did someone hurt you? And I said, yeah. He's like, your parents? I said, no, somebody else. And, and he asked what happened. That was the first time my story came out. I didn't know it needed to come out. Now, in between point A of being seven and point B when I was 22 and told him this, um, my eating disorder started and kind of started in high school, but really took root in college. Because I didn't know what had happened, because I you know, was not healthy, trauma rewires your brain. So my brain was rewired at a very formative time of life. So I had that entire foundation. Then you add in teenage years and then you add in college and I was really off kilter. So my brain was interpreting things in a really weird way. Main, main way that showed was we, the college I went to had one dining hall. So while I would have enjoyed another serving of food because I was hungry, which is a very natural human need is how we're built. My brain interpreted it as everyone in quotes would, would know that Sue had a need. Because I didn't feel, I didn't realize at that time, but I didn't feel valued. So I felt value by being seen. And if I was seen, then, then I have value. If I stayed busy, I didn't have to think. And if I didn't have to think, I didn't have to deal with my stuff. So activity became my number. So here I am at college going up and I have painted this picture on campus for four years that Sue has it all together. She's got a mask on and you know Sue has no needs. So for me to be hungry, which is how our bodies are designed, would have been for me to be found out. So I dumped my tray, I got out of Dodge, and I started snacking in my room. And that's when I started curbing my hunger. Anytime I started feeling uncomfortable in the situation, I, started, I curbed my hunger instead. That became my eating disorder is called OSFED, which stands for Other Specified Feeding and Eating Disorder. And what that means is that I don't meet all the diagnostic criteria for anorexia, bulimia, overeating, binge, but I still have disordered eating. I did not call it an eating disorder until about five years ago. And I would call it anorexic tendencies in quotes, or I would say I had odd eating behavior, but I never identified it as an eating disorder. So I was in denial about my story. Over time, I have found healing. Um, there's a retreat program I'm part of, which has been very instrumental in my life. And through that, it's called Walking Stick Retreats. And through that, the first year, I, I had to own my story because, like, as I just said, I was in denial about it. I didn't like my story. I hated it. In addition to the little bit of I just shared, you know, my parents divorced after 34 years of marriage. I've been suicidal twice. There was other sexual assault from other kids in the neighborhood. Uh, as I was first starting to deal with it, I dabbled in cutting. You know, but even then, I was in denial because I called it marks on my arm. It wasn't cutting. So all along, there was just a, the deception that goes along with eating disorders. So I went on this retreat. And the first year, I, I, I just, I, I ended up, I had to own my story. And I had to face the fact that, yeah, this happened to me. And that was uncomfortable, uh, to put it lightly. It was gut-wrenching, is more like it. Then the next year, as I continued to heal and started to grow and open up a little bit, I ended up grieving my story. And that's an important part for every person in recovery. Because everything that, that the steps, that the things that I have gone through, the things that God's taken me through to, to bring about this healing are, in essence, the same steps that everybody else in recovery goes through in one way or the other. You got to own your story first. You can't, if, unless you're willing to say, hey, I got an issue, 
that then you're not going to get anywhere. So you got to own that story. But then with that story comes a lot of loss of whatever is causing that. And, and with that, you got to grieve that. You have to allow yourself to feel that loss. And for me, as with an eating disorder, I said earlier, it has nothing to do with food and everything to do with emotions. Emotions up to then were my enemy. So to tell me I had to feel and grieve my story, that did not make it any easier. But over time, you know, I was able to do that. And, and then as I started healing and realizing that, that I am valuable and, and I'm, a, I'm a Christian. So for me, I'm valuable to God and that I have something to say that's worthy of being said. And once I started realizing that I had value just because of who I am, not for what I did like I did in college, once I realized that flip, then I realized that, okay, then I can start sharing my story because I have a story that may help somebody else. So, And that's a, a real thumbnail sketch uh, of how I got to where I am today. Um, you know, yes, I, I wrote a book a couple of years ago. It goes into a lot more detail and that was very healing in and of itself. So it, it's been quite the journey. It's, it has not been for the faint of heart. And it's not one that I have walked alone. Anyone in recovery knows you cannot do it alone. It's just not going to work and that you have to have, you have to be brave enough to reach out and you have to be, be weak enough to let others help you. Wow. Thank you so much for sharing that. I know that was a lot, that was a lot packed into that, that short little brief thumbnail. Uh, I'd be curious to know what, what does your recovery regiment look like? Are you involved in a 12 step program? You mentioned your faith. Is that, is that a big key in, in your recovery? What does it look like for you and how have you gone about this healing journey? My faith is the paramount of my healing uh, because as a Christian, I get my value from God. And, and so I had, but I up to then hadn't had that viewpoint. You know, this, the first time I went on this retreat, I called myself the holy exception, that everything God said was good enough for everybody else but me because I'm too screwed up, too far gone, too much has happened, and I'm just a waste of space. And I, I was starting to implode. And, and that, that's the mindset I went in with. And so to flip it on its head to where I know that, that I have value for who I am and not what I do, that only happens because of my faith. So that is paramount for me. Um, I have a counselor. Uh, I've been with her 13 and a half years now. She is the one who helped me face my eating disorder. She is also the one that I dealt with the rape for the first time. It was 2014, almost 40 years from when the event happened to when I started dealing with it, four decades before I dealt with it. So there was a bunch of other dirt on top of that that we had to deal with. So uh, that has been an important part of my recovery. And then I entered eating disorder recovery in 2016. Up to then, Amanda, my counselor, had kind of nudged me about getting a dietitian involved in the past. I resisted every time. As we were dealing with the rape, as we were dealing with the emotions and the things the retreat brought up as, as I was finding my healing, um, my eating disorder kicked in again and, and I was not doing well. And um, she was not relenting this time. I tried to dodge it for about four or five sessions and it just didn't work. I was not going to win that round. So I, I started with a dietitian. And honestly, I've thanked Amanda for that numerous times. I still see my dietitian once every three weeks. 
Uh, my, my mom passed away 14 months ago. Uh, she, I was her caregiver. She lived with me since 1997. So with all that stress and the emotion, my eating disorder was trying to yell at me. So I was seeing my dietitian more frequently. Instead of seeing my counselor every two weeks, I was seeing her every week. The eating part has stabilized, but you know, during October, November, you know, right, October 5th was mom's one year anniversary of losing her. And right around there, things were kicking in again. So I was getting with my dietitian more regularly because I, you know, like I said before, you have to be weak enough to let other people help you. So that, that is, that is my, my, my main treatment team. Uh, this retreat community is very dear to me. They're my tribe. They're my people. They're my family. Uh, so we, we hang out, we hang out, we see each other twice a year at retreats and we have online community. So they all know my story so I can reach out to them as well. So, um, all those things are critical. Yeah. You keep referring to this retreat. Would you mind telling us a little bit more about it? And is it something that's open to other people? If there's listeners that are in your area, could they get involved in this retreat if they were interested in that? Oh, very much so. First of all, it's open to anybody. We have had people from, uh, I think up to 15 states come to these things. We, we've anywhere from as far as Seattle, Washington, and Oregon to Pennsylvania and Maine and North Carolina and Texas and everywhere else in between and Kansas and Oklahoma and everywhere, um, Minnesota. Like I said, they're all over the place. This retreat is called Walking Stick Retreats. Um, if anyone is listening and familiar with the Christian musician Rich Mullins, he was big in the 90s. Uh, his big song was Awesome God. And the family and friends of Rich do these retreats. Rich did a lot of retreats when he, when he was in, in, his, in his early career. And this is part of his living legacy. It's called walking stick because we all need help along our journey. And a walking stick, that's what they want to be, is a help along your journey. Um, you don't have to be a Christian to come to these retreats. Now, they are faith-based. They are Christian-based. But you don't have to you know, sign a pledge card to come along. It's open to anybody. We do it uh, twice a year. The next one is going to be end of April in Southeast Indiana. Right outside Louisville, Kentucky, easy to fly into, easy to drive to. Starts on Friday morning, goes to Sunday around 11 o'clock. And, and it is a safe place where you can just be. You can, you, can, you can be you. It's okay to not be okay. It is a safe place. And, and you're just love for who you are. There's no performance needed. Uh, we, have, we have some, some pretty, you know, we, we, we dig into stuff. You know, this last time we talked about being new and being new in our identity and our purpose and our passion. And one of the conversations had to do with the masks that we wear of how we portray ourselves to others and then comparing it to how we think about ourselves. So we, we dig into some, stuff, some, you know, some deep stuff, but it really brings along the healing. And I think the most powerful part of that is that, you know, people are just authentic and, and they enjoy hanging out. But at the same time, if you're you know, struggling with some stuff and you need some time to kind of dig in, there's people you can talk to there, or you have the freedom to, if you need to go take some time and, and kind of sort some things out for yourself, there's that freedom to do that too. Um, they're very powerful. You can go to walkingstickretreats.org. One of the most powerful things of the retreat is that a few weeks, maybe a month or so before the retreat, they open up a retreat room uh, for, for the people who are going on that retreat. So you can start getting to know each other. So by, by the time everyone converges on the retreat center, it's more like a family reunion. And, and that, the first year in particular, was very powerful and instrumental to my, to, to my first step in healing. Because I talked earlier about the power of sharing the story. I had not publicly shared my story up to this point in time in 2014. There was a movie that had come, up called, come out called Ragamuffin. It was based on the life of Rich Mullins. And then the, the producer and the family and friends involved in the movie 
wanted to know, you know, talked about having a retreat to continue the conversation of the themes of the movie about identity, parent-child relationships, living a life of reckless faith, the masks that we wear. You know, I talked about masks I wore earlier. So that's where that retreat started from. And then it has just blossomed and exploded since uh, the one we had in June in North Carolina sold out. You know, the Captain Tennis, about 50 people, it sold out. Uh, we're doing one at the end of April. They expect that one to sell out again. So they, they're they are very, uh, very well attended. But in that retreat room, you know, that first year we were all strangers and they challenged us to share our story. And I lurked in the room for about four days and I was reading everybody else's story and encouraging them and, you know, responding and everything. And then I kind of got this, you know, how your heart starts pounding. It's like, all right, it's my turn and I don't want to do this. And I got up about four in the morning. I literally had a pot of coffee going on. I'm out in my dining room and I'm typing my story. And it took about a half hour. And I'm like, do I really want to do this? Because it'd taken me a while to sign on to the retreat. I was supposed to be in Nashville to see friends. I kind of kept feeling this tug. No, you're supposed to be there. So I finally relented. When I hit send in a post, I, I gulped and I'm like, I'm, I'm petrified. I've never shared this story. I'm going to be rejected because that's all I've known my entire life. And I waited all day long. I'm like checking Facebook at least once an hour, you know, kind of seeing what's, what's going to be said. Just waiting for the shoe to drop. Money, waiting for somebody to respond in the way I expected so I could justify the fact that I was screwed up and too far gone. That's what I was waiting for. I'm thrilled to say I was disappointed in, in every good way because not one comment was negative. Instead, it was, you are so brave. Thank you for sharing with us. I just want to give you a hug. And so as I went through my healing journey that first year, everyone knew my story. They knew I came there to work on me. And they gave me that space and that acceptance. Um, and and that, that is so critical to anyone trying to find healing. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. And Wow. I, I can totally relate to what you were sharing there about just like that, that like, you know, that you need to share something and, and you have like that pit in your stomach and you just like, I don't want to, I don't want to, cause you're scared of what other people are going to think. <laughs> I can totally relate to that. Cause that's kind of the feelings I had going to some of my first 12 step meetings. Like I know I need to share like what's been going on in my life and my struggles, but I'm not, I, I don't know that I can say it and I don't feel like I'm, I'm ready. And, and then like finally letting, letting some of that out and just like that sense of relief of like, Oh man, it's so good to get, to get this off my chest. Like I feel so much lighter and, yeah. and free. That's, yeah. that's awesome. And the first time you hear somebody say me too. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. what I've learned is that when we share, when we are courageous enough to share our stories, it gives the same permission to others who are probably dying to tell their story and are petrified. I, I, I've, I've said this before to other people. If I ever have the chance to tell Simone Biles personally, the effect her boldness had on me. And I wrote a blog post about it years ago when she came out about the abuse and the whole Me Too thing started. That gave me permission because up to then I had really not shared my story. And it all happened right around that same time. And simply because she was courageous, I am now here, hopefully, hopefully being the same voice of hope for somebody else and giving them permission to share their story. My, I'm a, I'm a, I said I'm a master certified life coach. My company name is My Step Ahead. 
The concept behind that is you only have to be a step ahead to help the person behind you. So many times we think that we have to have it all figured out and we've got to be perfect before we can be of any use. You know, you have to have it all figured out and you're recovered before you can help sponsor somebody, you know, or something like that. And that's a bunch of baloney. The concept is that while I'm still reaching out for help you know, to my counselor or whoever else is ahead of me for the support I need, I can still reach out and help someone who's just starting their healing journey with what I've gone through, what I've learned and the things, the knowledge I have. And together, there's a human chain of support. That's the concept behind my step ahead. So, you know, all that happened simply because, you know, somebody was courageous enough to give me courage to do that. So now that's my purpose in life now. And I love that. And that's such a great message to, to anybody that's listening like you said, we don't have to get to that place of perfection that we have in our head where I have to get to this level before I can help somebody else. No, help people where you're at right now, because that's what it's all about, man. Like people that have helped me along the way, they're not, they're not perfect. They haven't like achieved whatever that magical goal is. Like that's what it's all about though, is helping other people. And like you said, being bold enough to share your story so that other people then feel that same way. And, and, and I think part of that too, with, with hearing other people share their stories, it makes it feel like a safe space, whether it's on a retreat, like you're talking about, or it's at a meeting or whatever the scenario is when somebody else opens up and they're vulnerable, then you feel like, okay, this is a safe space where I can share, I can share my own stuff too, and not have that, that fear of judgment or rejection or whatever it is that's in our heads that tells us don't open your mouth. Like now you're in this place where you're like, okay, if they can do it, so can I. Right. And so, sometimes when, when, when one person is bold enough, you know, to kind of you know, be that trailblazer, think, think of if, if, you know, an icebreaker you know, up on the Arctic ocean, you know, something has to go ahead and break the ice, which then allows other people to follow behind. When we are courageous enough to set that pace to say, all right, I'm going to be the one then that, you know, that gives permission to others who are trying to figure out, I, I want to, and now I'm scared. And, and again, if, if we have, if we're just one step ahead, the effect that has on so many others. Absolutely. Well, you already kind of touched on a little bit about the coaching services you offer. So I'd love to let you kind of expand on what, what different services you offer. And then I'd also like to talk about the book. Sure. That's great. Let me talk about the book first. Okay. Um, all right, so the, the book is, I, won't, I, I know you don't do the visual, but there's the cover. It says, this much I know the space between. There you go. You got to cover it. Make sure <laughs> it is available on Amazon and Kindle. And it came out in September 2019. And November 2020, it won second place nonfiction at the Faith and Fellowship Book Festival. So my first book, self-published, and I got an award. So I, it was very encouraging for me. It's like, okay, I'm on the right track here. What this became was as I started to heal, at first, it was going to take the form of like life lessons I had learned and then and a little summary at the end. As I healed, part of my healing became writing this book because I, I ended up sharing my story. Now, at the end of each, each chapter, there is still that this much I know. But the concept is this. We've been talking about it. This much I know is my story. It's the one thing every person has and nobody can take from us. It's our story. So this much I know is my story. The second half, the space between, is the journey I went on and it continued to be on to go from having gaping wounds that are bleeding and subject to infection to having scars that tell a story of hope for others. Because when we have 
think about when, when you when you break your arm, you know, you have a wound and they put it in a cast to heal, and that healing hurts. It just hurts. But then the purpose of that is to make it stronger. When we have wounds from whatever has caused us to need to be in recovery, if we're only putting a band-aid on that, it's not going to heal because it's bleeding and it's gushing underneath and it's going to get infected from all the things in life that come at us, our self-talk, what we think about ourselves, all those other things that hold us back. That's that infection. But as we tear off that band-aid of I'm okay, the masks we wear, we talked about, and let some healing balm get in there while it hurts, in the end, we see a scar come. And that scar is a story of hope for others because it lets them know that, hey, this person went through it. And now that gives me that hope, just like we were talking about, that I can do this too. So that's this concept behind the book. Um, as an example, the, the, on the, uh, the chapter where I share about Bobby, and Bobby's the boy who, who raped me, the little snippet at the end says, this much I know, no matter what happens, God sees, God knows, and God is at work to make good come out of even unspeakable horrors. So, you know, just ha that's just a little thing like that. You know, it, it shares, shares you know, a little more about my childhood. I mean, the very first line is they were hurt people hurting their kids and, and helped me understand more of, you know, why some things happened, you know, in growing up, knowing it didn't make it right, but knowing that my parents were, were, were in, were, had, had wounds as well and that that affected things. Um, and now it is very important to me to say, my dad is 31 years in recovery. My brother is nine and a half years in recovery. Uh, my brother, Scott, actually had to serve 18 months in prison for a drunk driving accident. He got out in 2014. But all the relationships have been restored and are better than they ever have, have been. My dad is my biggest cheerleader. He is my biggest cheerleader and my greatest confidant. And, my, and, 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 and honestly, I never understood for a long time why people could say a parent was a friend. My dad is a friend. I can tell him anything absolutely anything. And when I gave him his copy of my book that I autographed, the, I have the picture of him sitting next to me in my car and just that, that dad smile on his face is it, like, okay, that's, that, that's, that's my treasure from my dad. That's something that's part of my story. No one's ever going to take from me, you know? Um, so anyway, so, so the book is on Amazon and Kindle. Um, I am working on, on book number two. It's actually going to be a three-part series. Uh, the first one is my story. The second one talks more about the masks we wear and, and why why are we feeling like we can't be real? And that one's the working title on that one is this much I know it's okay to not be okay. The third one's going to be talking about defining moments in our lives. It's going to be called 45 minutes in time. That's the duration Bobby held me against my will. And for the longest time, the, the things that happened to me defined me. I let them define me. And while I, after doing the hard work of healing, I have been able to turn that on its head now. And now I define the effect it has on me. So that's what the, the, the third book's going to be about. So got a lot of ideas in the head. They're not quite through the fingers yet onto the piece of paper, but I'm getting there. With that, though, after the book came out, a lot of speaking opportunities have opened up. I think I've done about 50 podcasts this year. Uh, I just did an internet TV interview that just it just aired on ntd.com about talking about mental health. Um, but I am a master certified life coach. What I have the privilege and the honor of doing is helping stuck people get unstuck. And that can be in any number of areas. You know, I worked with a mother-daughter team earlier this year who had a great relationship, had a major falling out around the holidays in 2020. 
came to me and said they rated their relationship at four out of 10. It had been a 10 out of 10. When we stopped and they stopped a few months later because of schedules, they said they were back to an eight out of 10. And being able to help them understand communication and, and not working off of assumptions and, and how to better communicate and understand and hear what the other person is saying. I've, a gentleman I was working with out of Nevada wanted to leave um, a career as an architect and start his own business. So we, we talked about that and, and helping him you know, formulate a, a career shift. Uh, I've got another gentleman I'm working with who you know, has a lot of social anxiety. And, and to help him see him go from being kind of holed up in his house to reaching out and not taking leadership positions. So it's been an honor to, you know, stuck is defined however that person wants to define it in whatever area of their life where they want something better for themselves. I am privileged to be able to walk alongside them and, and help them see their dreams become present reality. Um, I, you can go to suebowls.com and he'll have all the show notes and everything with the website link. Um, there's a form there you can fill out. I offer a 15 minute free consultation. If there's something you, your listeners think I can help them with, please just go to that website, shoot me a message. You'll also see me on Facebook and Instagram. A lot of that is uh, under my step ahead. But then there's also Sue Bowles Coaching on Facebook. Reach out to me in any of those things. Uh, Twitter is my step ahead as well. And, and I'll be happy to get in touch with you and see how I can help you watch, watch your dreams become reality. So you, you obviously want something better for yourself. And it would be my privilege to walk that journey with you and watch, you, watch the joy in your face as you see it actually happen. Awesome. Awesome. Well, Sue, I really appreciate you coming on the show today, sharing part of your story with us, telling us about the book and the different services you offer. I just love your energy and your vibe. So thank you again for coming on the show and sharing with us. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. This is fun. Sue, thank you so much for coming on the show today and sharing your story with us. Like Sue mentioned earlier, if you guys are interested in finding out more about her book, This Much I Know, The Space Between, or her coaching services, My Step Ahead, or The Walking Stick Retreat, be sure to check out the links in the show notes. You've been listening to Recovery Survey. If you got anything out of today's episode, I'd ask you to please leave us a five-star review and share this episode with a friend. If you'd like to get in contact with us, you can find us at recoverysurvey.com. You can listen to all of our episodes on the website as well as connect with us on social media where you can get previews for upcoming episodes.